scripture reading is from Romans, starting in chapter 11, verse 33, and going through to chapter 12, verse 2. Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. It's a joy to be here this morning uh, with the pulpit swap of the Westminster Presbyterian Church. Uh, that was a great line that the pulpit's still here. I like that. What we'll the thing of that? One of the things that the pulpit swap is for is to share what's going on with other churches. So I'll share a couple of minutes before we start the sermon on what's going on at Redeemer. Uh, my wife TC and I have been at Redeemer now eight years. Uh, TC's not here this morning. She works in the emergency department at Royal Perth and got off at seven o'clock this morning. So I hope she's asleep or it will not be a pleasant afternoon uh, if she doesn't get rest and goes back in tonight. Um, but it's eight years ago uh, that we came and, you know, it's interesting that some of the first people we ever met were Kashaka and David, uh, Allie. Allie was one of the first people we got to know here uh, when she was living in the basement of a friend's house. Uh, I think James and Andrew came in somewhere around then. Uh, but to get to, um, to get to know those people. And then Redeemer Presbyterian Church, which was then named Canningvale Community Church, that uh, their families were instrumental in founding and keeping going and to this day. Uh, so we've grown now to, um, we're averaging in the 80s something on Sunday morning and everyone gets there. We're looking for a new location. Uh, we've outgrown the one that we're in. Uh, and there's, God, it's not like America. I mean, finding property in Perth and somewhere to meet is, wow, it's tough. But we're looking and God has a place for us, for our church to, uh, to move into and to grow. Um, we changed our name to Redeemer because if we move kind of across the road to any other area, we're no longer in Canningvale. We might be end up in Harrisdale or Southern River. Who knows where we'll end up. Uh, so yeah, the church is, is growing. We've come through COVID very well. Um, and we're back meeting together uh, in person. And it's been great. But thank you for your prayers uh, for that church. And thank you for the hard work of, uh, I mean it, of David's family, Kashaka's family, um, they did a lot, or done a lot, and still do a lot uh, in music and everything else. So, we're looking at the book of Romans uh, today, uh, and we've been preaching through Romans at Redeemer uh, since February, uh, and we're, we've got four more weeks in the book of Romans. Uh, it's been good, so I'm not going to go through the whole book with you, uh, but I will try to orientate us to where we are. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning and thank you that as we hear it, as we listen to it, as it is preached, uh, that it really does something to us. 
that the Word of God actually changes us as we read it, as we hear it preached, as we pray over it, as we memorize it, because it is living. So thank you, O Lord, uh, this morning that we can know that we'll leave here a little different because we've heard the Word of God. Uh, help us to take it into our lives, O Holy Spirit, work in us. In Christ's name, amen. Take you back a few years. In May of 1977, can anyone remember May of 1977 besides me? So if you're of any age and maturity and wisdom and good looks, you can remember uh, 1977. Uh, I was in my second year of uni. It was, there was a movie released that year that, that changed cinema. It actually, it really did. It, it, it was a movie that changed cinema. Its special effects were unseen before. And the merchandising, the, the merchandising of its products and toys unprecedented. It spawned five sequels and prequels and offshoot series uh, these days. The franchise today is valued at $70 billion. And it's not even the top one. So as a total aside, as I look this up, who can guess what the largest and most valuable media franchise is? around in this area? Like, is it Marvel? Is it DC? Is it Disney? It's Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon at the top. So if this one's worth 70 billion, Pokemon's like, and it's like number five. So Pokemon's way up there. Anyway, all you Pokemon fans. And besides all that, it was a great movie. It was a cowboy western in space, wasn't it? That's really all it was. It was a cowboy western in space. Uh, and when we came out, all we could talk about were the special effects, those swords, those lightsabers. Come on, remember, like we'd never seen anything like that before. Now it's like all y'all like, that's all that. That's so cheesy. All that Star Wars, old Star Wars stuff. Some of y'all haven't even seen the old Star Wars stuff. But it was great. We, we, you know, we took broom handles and made lightsabers and fought all over the campus. It was people, you know, clubs came up. Um, it, was, it was a blast. It was a cultural phenomenon. And we were astonished by what we saw on the screen that night. You just came out with your, with your jaw hanging. Wow. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, that spaceship just, just disappeared. And all little dots were left. And it, w it was truly awesome. And let me propose to you this morning, as, as we look at this passage, as we read this passage, we should shine a... We should go, wow, wow, how amazing is, is our salvation? Because that's what Paul is, is doing here. That's, that's his thoughts as he writes these verses that were read earlier. Uh, he just cries out in awe. Oh, the depth and the grace and the riches of God. And that's why we should think of this uh, in our lives, for Paul is expressing this. Well, how did he get here? Let me give you a quick rundown of how we got to this point. To the point where he just stops and has to say, praise God. Praise God. I can't believe this. Uh, well, in chapters uh, 1 through 3, he presented man's problem. Man's problem is that we were all lost and going to hell. And we were under the wrath of God. We were going to suffer the wrath of God. And that man was unable to save himself. And in fact, man's a whole lot worse than he thinks he is. We tend to think we're not really that bad of people, uh, or that everyone's pretty good, but man's really not doing very well. He's lost. 
He's worse than he thinks. And then in chapters 3 through 4, he, he presents God's solution, that the righteousness of God is given to us by grace through faith. And that's what it takes. It's just God's grace. God's grace that he gives us salvation and, and covers us with his righteousness. And because of that, we have peace with God, chapters 5 through 7. His wrath is completely satisfied. Think about that for a moment. Think about that, Christian. God's wrath towards you, you were, you were sitting there, God was going to throw his wrath upon you. But because of the, this big word, propitiation, of Christ on the cross, which means all of God's wrath for your sin was thrown on Jesus, and it's gone forever. God can never be angry with you because of your sin. So we have peace with God. The word peace means to put back together that which was torn apart. So it's been put back together and that. And then chapter 8, he goes into a whole chapter. Sometimes uh, chapter 8, most people would say, that's my favorite chapter of Scripture. It's certainly one of the most powerful. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, we are heirs and we have a future glory. And that we can never be separated from the love of Christ. That's the point. The end of the chapter. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. You, Christian, may fall into grievous sin. But God's going to bring you back to repentance. So nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because you didn't have anything to do with it. You didn't have anything to do with saving yourself, so you can't have anything to do with losing because you can't lose it. You're saved. And then he moved into the practical part, chapters 9 through 11. Well, excuse me, 9 through 11, he, he goes on a side and he deals with the Jews. Like, so he gets kind of a complicated chapters, but he talks about, so what about the Jews? They, why did they reject God? Well, they did reject him, and then God's going to move away from them. He's going to move to the Gentiles, and then because he goes to the Gentiles, the Gentiles are going to make the Jews all jealous, and then the jealous are going to want to get so jealous, they'll start accepting Christ. It's kind of a little complicated part. And then he gets to this point where he just says, praise be to God. He begins the practical part of the chapters here. It's not just the fact that we're saved, but we need to learn to live in it. So there's a definite pause. Let me read this again. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable or how, how un, they just can't be tracked. You can't figure them out. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of God or who has been his counselor or who has given him a gift that he might be, need to be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And ever, amen. What's our response to these verses? Well, I think like Paul first, we need to be amazed. We need to be amazed at this. Some people think that Paul just goes through all this thing that he's talked about, and he's just going, I just don't understand it. So praise be to God. I can't figure it out. No, what he's done is he looks back. He understands exactly what God has done, exactly why God has done it. He spent 11 chapters telling us about it. And yet, and he just goes, praise God. Who would have thought this up? Who would have thought this up? It's, who would have figured all this out? He, he tells us. So he's come to the end of this explanation. And he, he's just astonished at what God has done. Oh, the depth and the riches that God has given us. Look at the way he did it all. Who could have figured this out? You know, if you were reading from start to finish, let's say, you, you know, 
We read the Bible, and most of us read all different parts. But let's say you, you just read through the Bible, and you've never read it before. You get to chapter 3 of Genesis, and you know that something more is going to happen. But who would have thought all that up from Genesis to Revelation? Who would have figured all that out? Nobody would have thought something up like that. Yet the wisdom of God, how amazing it is that, that he figured it all out. His judgments throughout Scripture, his choosing of a nation, his, his choosing of a people, his bringing Christ. Who would have thought that up? He could have just gone, you're saved. I want you as my own. But he didn't. He thought of this amazing story. This amazing thing he's worked out just, just to show you his love. Just because he desired a people for himself. And he would not be put off. He would have a people for his own. And his wisdom, his judgments, they're so wise, they're unsearchable. You can't figure them out. You can't figure it out completely. You just have to sit there sometimes and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for what you did for me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Because when I look at myself, when I look at my life, I ask the question, why would, why would you save me? Why would God have saved me? And, and maybe not that other person, whatever. Why would God save me? I don't know. Praise be to God. Oh, how unsearchable are his ways. Because we can understand, you know, who can understand God's decision to save mankind? It doesn't make sense. Yet he did. He chose to love you. Then he asked two rhetorical questions. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And the answer is that, uh, who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? Uh, no one. Who needed to teach God anything about this? Who needed to tell God what to do about this? Who's arrogant enough to think they can figure out the mind of God and understand him and figure him out and tell him what to do? Some people today, we hear people, oh, I couldn't follow a God like that. I can't accept a God who would do this. Well, the question is, who in the world are you to question God? He's an infinite God, and you're a finite creature. Who are we to question him? We just need to step back and say, praise God that he saved us, that he did all this for us. For he says in Isaiah, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Who can understand the mind of God? Take joy in that. Take excitement in that. Who can understand why he saved us? Who understands why he wants us with him for eternity? But he does. But he does. How amazing is, is that? We're creatures and he's the creator. And then Paul, we should be in all of this. You know, since part of my job is to do word, words are my thing. And I love word origins. I love to read. I love all those kind of things. Um, but one thing I'm seeing today, and I, uh, I hate to read the newspaper. Well, who reads the newspaper anymore? I hate in my news feed, you see all the superlatives. You know, all the superlatives that you say, they've just lost their meanings because of their improper and overuse. The headlines, the headlines are there what? Because people need clickbait. Horror, this happened so-and-so, and this happened that. Or we overuse words like it's excellent, magnificent, uh, glorious. You know, it's a, he's a world-class something 
You know, and yet there's another guy who's world. What does that mean anymore? It just means he's he's real good. You know, they're outstanding, dazzling, remarkable. But you 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 see these things on your newsfeed every day, and they just get overused to where they don't have any meaning. And I think in sometimes our Christian life, we get so used to it. We get so used to it of uh, of realizing who we are in Christ sometimes and say that we can lose that amazement. So I ask you, are you still amazed by grace? Are you still amazed that God loves you and how much he loves you and cares for you? Uh, has, it, does it, has, it ever brought, has it ever brought you to tears? Does it still bring you to tears? To be emotional that we're amazed by grace when we consider our salvation uh, Tim Keller says this, and I think he's actually quoting a guy named Jack Miller. He says, the gospel is this, we're more sinful and flawed than in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Let me read that again. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Amen to that. Paul wants the grace and mercy to do something for us. He wants it to motivate us. He wants it to motivate us. So he moves on into some, some practical things. You know, he could have stopped right here. He could actually have stopped the whole book of Romans right here, and then we wouldn't have, to have studied it so long or preached eight more sermons on it. But... And, and, you know, you would think, oh, well, what's being a Christian? Just, just know the doctrine. That's all you got to do. No, but we take what we know and we put it into action. So the rest of the book is about how to live the Christian life, what to do in the Christian life, what the church is all about. So he gives a couple of applications that we'll cover this morning. Um, he says, we're to be a sacrifice. We're to be a sacrifice. Therefore, present your body as a living sacrifice to God. Therefore... He starts it with, because of what's gone behind, let it motivate you, let it push you into the future that you're motivated to be a sacrifice to God. He says, by the mercies of God, let me read the thing right so I can get it right. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, and the correct term, it should be reasonable service. Because of the mercy of God, we... We give ourselves to him. We sacrifice ourselves. And what does the sacrifice do? Does that what's being sacrificed has no rights, does it? It doesn't. The sheep, the animal that was sacrificed, he's using Old Testament terminology here. It didn't have any rights. It just went up there and died. And the same with us, we have no rights before God. We belong to him. We're his. We follow him. He has paid a price for us. And he says, follow me. Follow me. I have, a, I have a right to tell you what to do. Follow me. Follow me. Be a sacrifice for me. He says, which is your reasonable service? Which is your reasonable service? It only makes sense. Because of all, everything that's gone before, because of all that I've done for you, because of who you are in me, because you're forgiven, because you're now a Christian, because you've been transformed, because you're changed, then it's only reasonable that what? That you follow me. That you sacrifice. That you give yourself.
for me. It's your reasonable service to that. So Christianity is not, it's not just knowing in your mind that you're saved. We do something. We live for the Lord. We obey Him. We follow Him. We take Him into every area of our lives. We take Him to work with us. We take Him into our homes. We take Him everywhere with us. We're a living, living sacrifice to God. You know, the chicken and the pig were talking one day, uh, and they were having a conversation about having ham and eggs for breakfast. Uh, and well said the pig, for you it's an investment. For me, it's a total commitment. For you it's an investment. For me, it's a total commitment. The Lord wants us to do this, to be totally committed to him, to really follow him, because you're a Christian. You follow Christ. You follow Christ. Now think back that if Paul had said in chapter 1, of Romans, if he had said, now present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, everybody would have gone, why? Why should I? Why should I present my body as a sacrifice? But he doesn't. Again, he's presented everything about your salvation. As you look back, you say, yeah, I should present my body as a living sacrifice for all he's done for me because I was under his wrath and I was going to hell. Yet because of his great mercy, I now have peace with God. So we're not only presenting our bodies as sacrifice, but we're changing our thinking and actions. Because you're a different person. Think of who he's writing to. Think of who he's writing. He's writing to the Romans, to the Christian church in Rome. He's never been there. One of the churches that Paul didn't start. He's written the whole book because he's going to come through there, hopefully on his way to Spain, he would hope. And he wants them to support him. He wants them to follow him. So he's written this whole book to them to explain, well, here's what I believe. And this is what I'm going to take on my missionary journey, and I want you to support me. That's what the book is, is about. Um, and so, and part of that, he says, as he's told him this, he's saying to be changed in your thinking actions because you're no longer what you were. You're Christians now. Yet you're living in a Greek culture. You're living in Rome. So you're in a Roman culture. But think differently be differently. Be transformed from what you used to think and the way you used to be. Don't be conformed to this world. I was joking with a friend of mine about his former life before he became a believer. He had a rather exciting and interesting life. And he got kind of mad at me. And he went, yeah, but that's not me anymore. But that's not me anymore. And his point was, I'm different. I've changed. And that's what he's telling us to do here. You're no longer what you were, so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently about the world. Think differently about life. Transform your mind. The word is metamorphosize. So be transformed. What does a, a caterpillar do? It spins a cocoon, and it comes out what? A butterfly. It's totally transformed. And that's what he says has happened to you. You're not what you were. The past is gone. Now think differently. Think like a Christian. Develop a Christian worldview, which means you think Christianly about everything. So you take Christ to work. You take him to play. You take him into your home. You take him into your marriage. You take him into your single life. You take him to uni. You take Christ everywhere, and you, and you think through the grid of what it means to be a Christian. You see the world with new eyes and different. That's why many times as a Christian, there's just kind of this uneasy feeling 
or we're really bothered by things we see in the news or we're bothered by things happening around us that don't seem to affect anyone else. Why? Because we think differently. Because we think with the mind of Christ. He says, develop that. Be in God's Word. Study it. Think differently because you are different. We're not to conform to this world with its ideas of belief. And then do what? And live accordingly. And live that way. Live differently because you are different. You are different. And you can do it because Christ is at work in you. That's what he's telling us. You can be transformed. You can change because Christ is at work in you and he's changing you. And he's working in you every day until you breathe your last breath. Christ is working in you to change you, to be transformed you into a new creation and a new creature. Well, you know this God. Do you know this God of grace and mercy? And if you know him, does it really affect the way you live? Does it change the way you think? Does it change your actions? Because you've looked back and you've considered what Christ has done for you. You've considered what he has done for you and you've brought it into the present and it's changing the way you live. Let us think about these things as we come to God's table in just a few moments of the past, the present, and the future of all that Christ has done for us. And let us just be amazed. Let us be amazed at what he has done for us. And then let's bring it into the present of how we live today. And then let's look to the future as we'll see as we spend time with him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you that, that you're God of grace and mercy. Oh Father, we were, uh, we were lost. Uh, we were simply lost. We were on our way to hell. And yet you, by your mercy and grace, for your own purposes, chose to save us. Oh, Father, thank you for that. Thank you for that, oh, Lord. Uh, may it be a motivation and may it be a driver for us for our entire lives, realizing how much you care for us, how much you love us, and your grace and mercy. May it drive us, Lord, uh, in everything we do and change us. Amen.